This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm Peggy Hodgkins, and today we're talking about the intersection of art and science and how they work together for the conservation of the pinyon juniper ecosystem. My name is Bruce Crownover. I'm one of three collaborators in this project of Sentinels. I'm visiting from Madison, Wisconsin. I'm a filmmaker and an artist and a longtime collaborator of Todd's and happy to be here, thank you. My name's Todd Anderson and like Bruce, I'm a printmaker and an artist. I'm here with Gary and Bruce today as part of the Sentinels exhibition at USU here in Moab and Blanding. And I'm from Clemson, South Carolina. And I'm Gary Macklis and I'm also a professor at the Clemson University. I work as a research scientist in social ecology, okay. and prior to coming to Clemson University, I was working with the National Park Service for many decades. The exhibit Sentinels is an art and science project created by printmakers Todd Anderson and Bruce Crownover and social ecologist Gary Macklis. This collaborative exhibit demonstrates the migration of pinyon pine and juniper trees as a result of increased dryness in the American Southwest as studied in Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments. It's exciting to have this exhibition here in Moab and also in Blanding. The whole idea of looking at a pinyon and juniper ecosystem in the eye of not only art and science, but in conservation. Why? What's going on with the pinyon juniper ecosystem in the light of changing climate that, that we want to bring awareness to it? I think there's lots of reasons. One is, um, and it's related to the art, is the extraordinary beauty of these ecosystems. A second, and it comes from our title of the work, it acts as a sentinel. They are sentinels warning us about broader, deeper changes that we might not always see. A third reason is, our attitudes toward conserving pinyon pine and juniper have changed dramatically even since just the Second World War. As late as 1980, chaining to destroy as much as they could to make it open for cattle was a standard practice accepted as conservation for other purposes. And we've had a major turnaround to understand the value of juniper and pinyon pine ecosystems, not just as sentinels, not just because they're under stress, not just because they're beautiful, but because we better understand them now for their complexity and value. Picking somewhere like Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante to primarily study, is it have something to do with the aridity? Is it uh, just the... Uh, beautiful place to go check it out or is it something another reason when it was picked there's a few reasons bruce and i've been working on these projects for about a dozen years in different parts of the country and collaborating with gary and trying to understand what's happening in this part of the country but we wanted to bring specificity to the project and one of the most important things to us was that it's located in a publicly owned national space like a national monument like bears ears and grand staircase one way that we found to be effective to connect the artwork and the science and these projects with the public is if we all have a shared kind of stake in the places that we're looking at and the places we're talking about. And so publicly owned lands are a great way of doing that. So there's a 
pragmatic reason for locating in these two particular spots. As the project developed, this was a four-year project in the making. We had a change of political leadership, you know, at the national level, and Bears Ears, of course. And so that also kind of added another component that I think might resonate with folks in terms of like how are we going to think about these spaces now and how are we going to think about these spaces into the future? Understanding in terms of the environment through science and we can look at it through the artistically as well. Yeah. And it's such a compelling place artistically anyway. I mean, you know, hundreds and thousands of artists have been addressing what it looks like around here for so long. And I think it's part, for me anyway, part of the attraction was to become part of that tradition, to come here and really spend enough time in this place to get a sense of what it is and how to interpret it with, you know, the art that I make. So I was really attracted to the place as a place for its beauty and also the family history that I have in this area, I really wanted to come back. And how, with all the trees out there, how do you pick a tree that you want to make these beautiful art prints of? For me personally anyway, when I looked back at the sketches and the, the paintings and the photographs I took, it wasn't so much about an individual tree, it was more about the place where the tree is, and then I could plug a tree into that place or not. I wasn't really trying to depict a particular tree. Gotcha. My stuff is a little bit more abstract. Well, one of the things that's kind of drawing me to these trees, and one of the things that I learned through the course of this project was just kind of the enjoyment. If I just stopped and looked at a tree for a certain amount of time, you just you be with it. You start seeing all the individual characteristics of these trees. And I think in a lot of a lot of things in life, we're always after like the biggest, or the oldest, or the youngest, or the newest. And these trees, you know, there's millions and millions of these junipers and pinions around here and there was something really beautiful I found where it's just another tree but as soon as I started looking at it it was like this completely you know kind of its own thing yeah and I really enjoyed that it made me think a lot about kind of like us as people like how similar we are there's just so many of us humans right but you take the time to get to know somebody and you really get to know them so it's having trying to have that type of relationship with the tree when I traveled with Todd on the trip that he and I made to Bears Ears and Grand Staircase, he really made an impression on me, a way of looking, is we weren't interested in the biggest tree. As right. he said, we weren't interested in the oldest trees. We wanted to see them as individuals. And that was art teaching a scientist how to perceive differently. And I remember one time we'd pull off on the side of the road and we're looking at the landscape. We hiked up this little hill and there was a tree among all the trees, you could call it nondescript, you know? It was, and all of a sudden I'm looking at it and I'm going, Todd, that's like the tree of Abraham, you know, <laughs> the burning bush, because yeah. it had been struck by lightning. And that's what that is. In Sentinels, there's actually a sketch of Todd's said looks like the tree of Abraham. That was part of art teaching science and science teaching art, how to look differently than doing it individually. Some of those trees too, you know, they're hundreds of years old. Oh yeah. And so that in itself is so humbling because this is something that predates me and will live after me. So you've put something together where you've all contributed very specific items. I'd love to hear you each talk about your your contribution to the project. Well, for me, it starts with going somewhere. You know, it's all these projects are really based in a particular place. 
so I kind of want to wrap my mind around, okay, what is this place? Where is it? So I do a little bit of, you know, very little research about it. And so the idea for me is just to go to that place with little pieces of paper and a phone camera and to spend time. I mean, it's really about being in that place. It's really nice to make drawings and paintings for me because it forces me to sit and stare at something for a long time. And I'm not really trying to necessarily capture with accuracy what I'm looking at. In fact, I spend more time looking at the piece of paper than I do with the landscape in front of me. And part of that is because it's changing with the light and it's, you know, I'm just not that kind of artist that can capture that moment in time, but I want to capture what it is to be in that spot. So I really sit for as long as I can when I can. And, and then really, uh, you know, whatever we take away, for me anyway, when I go back to my studio in Madison, that's when the real artistic work begins because I take those drawings, those photographs, those sketches or whatever, and really spend time with those and figure out how am I going to turn this into something besides this little drawing or painting. The process of the technique that Todd and I both do is called reductive woodcut. So you're using one piece of wood to get all of your colors, all of your information comes from one piece of wood. And it's a sort of a tricky process. I'm not really trying to adhere necessarily to the painting that I made or the drawing. I'm letting the print dictate a little bit of the process itself. So mm -hmm. for example, if I carve and print a very light color, run it through the press, I'm reacting to what that light color looks like on the paper before I decide what the next color is. So in the studio is really where a lot of the decisions are made is how these prints are gonna look. And I'm really open to the discovery of it in the process. Whether it's good or not, I don't know, but it's, if it satisfies me, that's what I'm looking for. Rarely do I go through the entire process and say, oh, I missed, it's no good, I'll throw it away. Yeah. But that does happen. And I'm really trying to devote some of my, you know, my personality and the integrity that I have towards these places. I want that to come through in the artwork, and that takes time. I love it, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny because the, these wood blocks, I think it's the same for Bruce, but it can take four or six weeks to make one of these prints. And so I'll say to folks sometimes, it's like, Woodcut's so much fun because it's you're flying at the seat of your pants, which doesn't make any sense when it's taking that long. So you're hand carving, you're testing the colors, you're look, you know, it's technically they're a workout. They take yeah. a long time, but there is no place to hide in these prints, and that's one of the things I love most about it. Mm. As soon as I carve away that block, I can't put it back. Right. And so for me, the studio can be at, at times pretty intense in terms of trying to figure out get it right because you just have a lot of investment in these things. You know, you travel to these places, you spend time there, there's financial things involved in that, there's sacrifices at home, and then you come back to the studio and suddenly you're a month into this project, you're like, man, if this run, if this next color doesn't work, yeah. like, this is tough, you know, this, yeah. is, this is not easy. Field ecology begins by getting dirty. And you have to actually walk and look and and let the environment you're trying to understand tell you things. So in this particular case, when we went, I came not with an experimental design, but with a notebook, not with microscope, but with a pen, mm -hmm. and just tried to learn as much as I could. At night, after a day of looking at the different trees and walking with Todd and trying to learn about how he saw this as an artist, I would journal mm -hmm. and I would write notes. And so I ended up with this notebook full of notes. Then I went back, not to a studio, but to a mundane office and began to say, well, what did I learn? And 
what can be used there. And as we developed the collaboration, the text became what we call word paintings. The words weren't just what they said, but how they were put together and how they were visualized. Mm -hmm. And so I worked with Todd to make sure that the word paintings actually had a visual component to them as important as the text. And we chose three different American vernaculars, three ways we speak. Mm -hmm. One is a 1970s science article. So mm -hmm. I wrote a 19, in 1970s science article that was fictitious. Mm -hmm. I made it up. <laughs> all the facts were true, but I mashed them all together in different ways. And we invented a journal, the fictitious journal of Southwestern Autoecology. So it looks like the way science talks about these things. Yeah. Then we decided to have a travel journal. And so again, we took my notes and converted it to both the language of a journal like you would read from the core of discovery, Lewis and Clark. That journal, then Todd created this image of a journal in the visual display of what an 1880s journal was. Mm -hmm. And the last of the three, which in some ways was the most fun, is I thought about all that Moab has gone through and all that Bears Ears and Grand Staircase have faced and will face in the future. And I wrote an editorial that looks just like a New York Times editorial and dated it December 9th, 1958. And I tried to write an editorial that if I was in 1958 looking forward, what would I editorialize? And it talks about this region at the crossroads and I proposed outlandishly for 1958, well, what if the uranium mines don't play out, agriculture is done? What if we thought of Moab as a potential tourist town? <laughs> and it was really fun to write an editorial of the past looking here. So my part of it was to take what I learned on the ground and then find creative ways to say it that wasn't just text about their art, mm -hmm. but was trying to communicate in some similar way what they were communicating through visual art, but through word paintings. This collaboration of art and science has been put together in what's called artist books. They're considered artwork in and of themselves. Only 11 of these books have been made, all with original artwork, no reproductions. Most often they are displayed in university libraries or museums, but there are some private collections as well. The, the idea behind a lot of these projects that we work on as collaborators is to do a couple things. One is to speak right now about what's happening. It's a contemporary drive in terms of what do things look like now. And then one of the things that art can do, it doesn't always do, but it has this great ability to serve as a tool to dialogue with future generations. And mm -hmm. so the goal for our projects in these books is to also leave a trace, you know, as small as it may be, but a small bit of information about some of the things that we were thinking about in the early 21st century, things we cared about, the state of the environment in this particular place here. And it's a way of informing future generations of what we've been working on. So part of it is trying to, as I think as artists, 
we're trying to put ourselves in this lineage of other printmakers, other artists that have come before us. We're also trying to talk about the present moment why these things are important, but then also extend that conversation through time, something that can outlive all of all three of us. The history and the tradition of printmaking, making multiples is sharing it with people, you know, the democratization of art is that you can make a bunch of it, you can give it away, you can share it, you can get it out there. So we're really hoping to hit, even though there are limited numbers, institutions and get more eyeballs on it. And, and I think it's sort of seductive in a way, the artwork is hopefully in that it draws you in and then hopefully you spend enough time with it to figure out what you're looking at mm -hmm. and then the pretty picture becomes oh it's kind of a warning sign about something beyond this pretty picture right you know, so trying to make people think and one of the reasons we're here in your studio in moab and having the opening and we went to the high school and met with high school students is we felt pretty strongly that we came to this region as visitors and guests we drew inspiration from this place and there is a redemptive responsibility for us to come back and to share it here. Mm. And so to us, this isn't just an exhibition mm -hmm. and it is not just bringing the book here to show at an opening, but it's a chance to say, thank you, you inspired us and you're the ones who are here close to it and in charge of protecting it for future generations. Nice. So, so this particular trip and this particular showing has, a, has that redemption part of it inside. As everyone here locally knows, Bears Ears and Grand Staircase, like Todd said, has been whipsawed by politics. It's the people that are local here and citizens all over the country who are going to have to protect it in the long haul. And that means there needs to be an intergenerational transfer of power from my old baby boomer generation to the young people of America who have the responsibility for the future. Because I, I do believe the fate of Bears Ears and Grand Staircase is in a citizenry that cares about it. It is maybe like thinking about the role of art and science. And one of the kind of larger things we're trying to do is bring those two things together. In the Age of Enlightenment, those were they're one and the same. The naturalists and the artists were one and the same person. And over time, we've kind of split those things apart a little bit. And so I think that one thing that we're kind of trying to do as well with these projects is to bring those two things back together where they belong. Science does a really terrific job of helping us understand fundamental truths about the world around us. It could be physical truths, it could be theoretical truths. But it's, I think it's really up to the artists, it's the poets, and the philosophers to help us understand the meaning behind those truths. And so if we bring those two things together, we understand that we all have a role to play in the world around us, and we need each other. And so that's part of these, these books and these projects. Yeah, I can't, I can't exist without scientists, because they bring the empirical truths and data yeah. and authority to these places and what's happening. And so as an artist, okay, well, what can I do? Like, I can't understand these things, but I do understand a certain language, you know, it's an emotive one, it's a visual one. Yeah. And it's like, how do we talk about these things and find value and meaning in these things? And that's really, you know, I think what Bruce and I are trying to do to a certain degree as artists. A big thanks to Tom, Bruce, and Gary for coming together and talking about their project, The Science Moab.
The Sentinels exhibit will be housed with different pieces at USU Moab and USU Blanding through May of 2023. For more information, go to toddandersonartist.com. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding, and the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.